Do you want to get some beers, kid? Come on, let's get a buzz. I know it's only Monday, though. That's just for you. I still don't have a job. We used to be drinking buddies. Now we're not. I wish you'd tell me why. Do you want to get some beers, kid? It doesn't have to be a beer, kid. Okay, fine. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 21 of 2, 5, and 10. Uh, I figured we'd start it up there with the uh, Southie National Anthem. So, uh, going off about that. Some vocals on that one. Yeah, the girl got pipes on her. Killed it. <laughs> um, going into it, episode 21, Ben Stu, uh, int- take it away, my friend. Yeah, so episode 21, uh, I was trying to think of a retro player to assign the episode based on jersey number. I'm just going to go Peter Forsberg for that one. Um, But yeah, kicking off episode 21, kind of revisiting the first and I guess only big trade so far before the trade deadline is Jake Muzzin heading to uh, Toronto. So interested in your thoughts on how that experiment has kind of worked out so far in your opinion as a division rival and uh, do you think they're still going to make a move for another defenseman um so currently nine games since the trade one goal three assists for four points uh plus six the thing that i find the most interesting is that he was coming from la where he was averaging about 21 and a half minutes of ice time going down to about 18 and a half so for me, that's just huge going into the postseason because if you can manage his minutes, he can be an absolute beast for you in the postseason. So for me, it's a little scary because it looks like we're on the warpath with Toronto again. But I don't know if, obviously, he's just one player. So it, one of those things. But at the same time, I think he has made their decor a little better. Everybody, I am sorry. It this is getting scratchy. Um, the, the voice is awful. Um, I apologize. This thing just won't go away. I probably should go to the doctor this week. I don't know if it's like bronchitis or whatever it is, but it's something. Um, Your throat's a little. Your throat's a little sore from going to all those uh, movie arcades in Southie, right? Yeah, uh, yeah. The the pickle patties, but. Uh, <laughs> No, I mean, I just think that if you can manage his minutes like they're doing, basically knocking three minutes off of his ice time off the top, I think that saves you in the long end. And to have, what would you call Muzzin? Would you call him a one or would you call him a two? Well, he's their one there, but. I actually think he's more of like a number three guy. I don't see him. He doesn't have like the offensive skill set to carry your defensive unit, and I don't consider him like a legitimate shutdown guy, which doesn't necessarily mean you have to be a physical stay-at-home guy, but uh, I think he's more of like a really good secondary piece that you can add to your defense core. Um, I think Riley is their number one, still a little lacking defensively, but I think he is their true number one at this point. Uh, When it comes to the trade itself, I kind of got into this when a trade was made. He's a good player. Uh, that what they gave up wasn't much in terms of prospects. They still gave up that first-round pick, which now looking back at it might become useful for adding another piece that they might want before the deadline. But he's just not fitting in what the Maple Leafs are trying to do defensively. Uh, Babcock is notorious for wanting to keep the most skilled defensive partner on their natural side and more, most comfortable side. He did that for years in Detroit, and... When Muzzin was was first brought in, they moved Riley over to the right side, and he played significantly worse than he has all year. So they moved him back to the left, which bumped Muzzin, who's never played the right side in his career, down to the second pair. So at this point, it's still, after giving up two prospects in the first, Riley with 40-year-old Ron Hainsey on the first pair, and then Muzzin playing the left side with Zaitsev on the second pair, which, again, further reduces Gardner's usefulness by playing third-pair minutes. So their number one need all along is their top-pair right-handed guy. They made the move for Muzzin, and it's just not really working out at this point. (coughs) Sorry, don't mind me just dying. 
<laughs> yeah, no, I, I did find it weird. Obviously, I like Jake Muzzin as a player. I think he's phenomenal. But it's one of those things, like you said, where they really needed a right shot D, and they brought in a guy who's never played his offside before. So it just doesn't blend. I, I do think, though, he's definitely going to make a difference for them. Because if yeah. you look at defensively what they got, he's better defensively than Morgan Riley, better than Zaitsev, better than Ron Hainsey. I mean, so I, I think he betters them, but at the same time, it's definitely a work in progress. Yeah, like two-time cup champion. Uh, now there's talk that Toronto's kind of sniffing around guys like Adam McQuaid, who plays the right side. He's still... He brings that physical aspect that if you pair at him with Riley, kind of makes sense on paper. But if you're going to make a run for the Stanley Cup, I don't envision the Stanley Cup champion having Adam McQuaid playing first pair of minutes on the right side against guys like Ovechkin, Crosby, Pasternak. Um, so we'll see what they do there. It's just they brought in talent with Muzzin. It's just not necessarily working in a team aspect. It's not fantasy hockey all the time when it comes to transactions like this. Yeah, and I mean, I, I expect a little bit better, too, from, uh, what's his name up there, from Dubas. It, it seems like everything he's done has been very good and kind of meticulated, everything he's gone for. So if for one thing to not work out, I mean, hey, I mean, it is what it is. But at the same point going forward, looking at future trades, I think this will definitely be one to look at as to if this finally works and it meshes the way he envisioned it. Yeah, it'd be... And I know it definitely would have cost more because of the age and talent. He plays the right side. It's a division, uh, like a conference issue. But I wonder if they would have been better off paying a little bit more for somebody like a Pesci from Carolina to play that right side of uh, Riley. But that was before, and that would have been before Carolina went on their run that they've been on, putting them back in a playoff race. So I don't think he's on the market at this point anymore. No, I don't think he's on the market either, but at the same time, I, I just, I don't know what it was exactly they were looking for, because Pesci kind of gives you what Riley gives you, so if you were looking for actual defensive help, he was not the guy to go to. Yeah, it's going to be interesting, it just seems like now they're going to have to expend more resources to fill their actual need on top of what they gave up from Muzzin, so... That might help you guys in the end, where Gardner's not as effective, Muzzin's playing lim- more limited minutes than he was in L.A., and they might be end up playing Ron Hainsey at 20 minutes a night in the playoffs. Perfect. Send it this way. <laughs> Hainsey against Pasternak should be fun. Yeah, I mean, uh, the other thing, too, I know we're, we talked about it a little bit now, but Barry and Gardner down on that third pair, like, obviously it makes them better with Gardner at least being there. But for his effectiveness, bleh. yeah. And now you're playing Dermot on his offside too. Um, and Gardner, I know he's not great defensively, and he's more of an op- offensive-minded guy. But he's one of his strongest skill sets is skating the puck out of defensive zone and transition offense. And now that he's on a third pair, Babcock's essentially forced into sheltering his minutes, where he's only getting offensive <laughs> zone starts. So at that point, it's kind of nullifying his skill set of defensive zone draws and transition offense well veering away from the toronto maple leafs and jake muzzin um i believe we got it here for you we have the rangers development of some prospects and we're gonna have you touch all over this Uh, yeah so you're gonna you're gonna have a nice little voice break here to chug some water um I wanted to touch on this because the Rangers are a year and a half into their rebuild. Um, you know, they had some young guys on the roster all year long, especially on the back end with D'Angelo, Pionk. Um, you know, they had Heedle in and out of the lineup. Ichnevich is still struggling under a new coach, new system. And now that we're getting close to the deadline and the Rangers are going to be pawning off Hayes, Zuccarello, McQuaid, guys like that, and bringing in more prospects and picks. The issue for the Rangers is they don't really have guys in Hartford that are basically knocking down the door for an NHL roster spot, which would allow them, when they do trade these veterans, to just plug and play 22, 23, 24-year-old guys who are NHL-ready. It's getting to the point where the Rangers needed to call up somebody 
because of Jesper Foss being out, and they had to call up uh, Connor Brickley, who was just traded for from Nashville. And you got have guys in Hartford who you would typically think would get called up. Somebody like Billy Muskinen, who the Rangers signed over the summers, uh, like 28 year, uh, 22 years old, or first-round seventh overall pick, Elias Anderson. But all the guys in Hartford are struggling significantly, and I don't know if it's a coaching issue, a system issue, or what. But if the Rangers are trying to rebuild kind of on a fly here and have these plug-and-play prospects, it's not really working when it comes to the minor league system. Like Anderson has 20 points in 36 games. He's in minus 24. Um, their leading goal scorer is Peter Holland, who's a 27-year-old journeyman AHL guy. Um, not necessarily strong development in the co- with the coaching system down at Hartford, and it's kind of given me pause when it comes to adding even more roster talent to Hartford in terms of like craps off over the summer or guys we might be trading for at the deadline. That's interesting that you said that you don't think he's actually meshing down in Hartford. And if you can't mesh with the AHL system, how do you expect to bring people up to the NHL system? Yeah, I mean, the centerpiece of the trade that sent Ryan McDonough and JT Miller to Tampa last year was not Brett Howden, who's had kind of a, he's had a strong debut kind of up and down more recently, but it was Hedgick, the defenseman, former first round pick by Tampa Bay. Um, everybody was like, is he going to make it the team out of camp this year? If he does, what do the Rangers do with guys like Smith or Stahl? Uh, had a strong camp. They sent him to Hartford. He's played in 54 games on there. No goals, five points, negative 25. Negative he's doing yo. he's doing nothing down there, and he's supposedly one of the cornerstone defensive prospects that we're going to be building around. So it's just giving me a strong sense of, well, what the fuck's going to happen when they bring Kraftsoff over or they bring Lindquist over or K. Andre Miller signs professionally like, or these other prospects we're going to be drafting and they make it to Harvard. Or is their development going to stall like it has for a bunch of these other guys? And are you putting that more on the coaching staff or are you putting that more on management? And is it more just a system thing where, like, coming up from Hartford to the Rangers, they're playing different systems? Or do you just think some guys are just not getting it, period? Uh, I mean, it, they're definitely trying to play the same system that they're doing in New York. The Rangers have been doing that for a few, excuse me, for a few years now to make the transition easier for you guys when they get called up. And I know not every prospect is going to work out. Like, there's going to be good players that are good in juniors or USHL that they make it to the A, and it's just not happening. But the fact that there's so many guys in Hartford that aren't franchise forwards or defensemen, but they're supposed to be legitimate NHLers that are just stalling down there. So I think that's more of a coaching development aspect. And I'm curious to see if this continues, like for the remainder of the season, what the Rangers are going to do coaching wise. I know. Chris Drury is the head of player development. He's assistant GM for the Rangers. Uh, so I don't know if he's getting impatient because, like I said, Rangers had a roster hole, and instead of tapping in a prospect pool, they made a trade for Connor Brookley, which all right player, deaf player, but Keith McCambridge, the coach of the Wolfpack, isn't really pulling his weight down there. And, I mean, if they gas him, do you see anybody else taking that spot? Do you think they would transition Jerry from management to coach, or how do you think that would be? He has no coaching experience, so that would even be a situation where it's like, okay, these kids kind of stalled. Do we want to install a rookie head coach (laughs) that would be in charge of their development, like turning it around? Um, I'm not quite sure where they would go, but... You have guys, like, I know he flamed out when he was with Edmonton, but you look at a guy like Dallas Eakin, in his second organization, his second AHL team, and once again, they're developing young guys like Terry and Steele and, uh, I'm forgetting, blanking on the other guy's name that they called up a few games ago to Anaheim, but basically churns out development of prospects and their teams are successful. The Wolfpack haven't been a developmental pipeline for rangers in like almost a decade ever since they pumped out stefan and mcdonough who only played cups of coffee with those guys and got called up and stayed there 
So I'm not quite sure what the solution is. It's just really worrying as a Rangers fan who's hoping for a quick rebuild on the fly to see these guys kind of stall out. Well, real quick, before we get into our next topic, I just want to talk to everybody real quick. This is New England, man. We had some snow today, but hold your breath, man. Spring is coming around the corner. Do what I did last year. You call the people at Stratford Landscape Contracting, and you have Stratty and his guys come out, and they build and they design you a beautiful patio, walkway, whatever it is you're looking for. I love my brick patio. We go out there with the kids. Me and the missus, we just sit on the lawn chairs, kick our feet up, let them run around like madmen. Do what I did. Take it from me. I would not send you to anybody bad. So please, do me a favor. Give Stratford a call. Stratford Landscape Contracting, 781-879-8519. Tell him KC and Benny sent you from 2, 5, and 10. He'll instantly give you the discount. He already knows what it is. With that, everybody. Speaking of, speaking of renovations. Yeah, speaking of some spring cleanup, some renovations. Um, the Flyers with some renovations today or maybe just keeping their back end a little bit uh, intact. They had a one-for-one trade this week. Um, Cam Talbot to Philadelphia for Anthony Stolarz. Uh, bringing Talbot in to back up Carter Hart, the rookie goaltender. They said it's basically just a safety deposit. So if Hart does start hiccuping, as I guess, is that the word to use? Hiccuping? Yeah. <laughs> he runs into, has some hiccups. Yeah, runs into some hiccups along the way. They at least have an insurance plan. Your thoughts on that move? Uh, I mean, I think we both knew Talbot was going to be on a move for Edmonton. Uh, I kind of had him going to San Jose uh, to play with Jones for the same premise that the Flyers traded for. He's a free agent after the year. He's a very low-maintenance guy. He has experience being a number one and playing in the playoffs, so it's like a pretty good insurance policy. Uh, I guess the Flyers are pushing some of their chips to the center of the table, thinking they can make a run for the last playoff spot, even though at this point, even when they went on that win streak for a while, they're still six points behind Montreal and Pittsburgh for the last playoff spot. Um, so I don't necessarily think that they are going to be able to make that much of a gap up, even with the addition of Talbot. But he is somebody that, for a young rookie goaltender in NHL, He's very willing, like he was in Edmonton, to share some of his wisdom and kind of take some of the load off off a of heart uh, so they don't wear him down down the stretch. So pretty low-risk move. It's just I'm not quite sure what the Flyers' plan is at the deadline now. If they're making a move for Talbot, then why would they trade somebody like Simmons if they're going to try and make the playoffs? Yeah, I'm not too sure their whole reasoning. But um, they gave up a pretty big pick in, well, prospect and Stolarz. Kid is huge. He takes up a lot of space in the net. 6'6", 210. Uh, I remember when they drafted him, I thought he was a pretty decent draft pick. Uh, second round in 2012. So for them to kind of give up on him, I don't know if he's kind of hit his quota with them or whatever it may be. But now if you look in the pipeline behind Hart, there's nobody. Because, I mean, obviously Talbot's going to sign somewhere else afterwards. So I just, I don't know if this is the right move as to who they would go after in the offseason to kind of sneak somebody in there. Because if they already have worries about heart and a workload and everything else already, you have to think that in the offseason it has to be the same thing. Like, you're going to be thinking on the back burner. If this kid does hiccup, have hiccups in the road, <laughs> you need somebody there. I wonder, like you said, Solar isn't some like scrub or like quad A type goalie prospect where he's going to be up and down for a few years before going to Europe or something. I wonder if because they gave him up for Talbot, the Flyers made the move for him, regardless of if they make the playoffs, playoffs or not, to bring him into the building, kind of sell him on staying in Philly, even though he's not guaranteed the number one spot heading to the next season. I'm hoping to have him as a, at least another full season of an insurance policy and hoping the team makes the turnaround next year, uh, which they have the talent to do. And then they are set in goal with Talbot and Hart is kind of like one and one a 
I mean, maybe. I mean, maybe their plan is to go back after him at the end of the year, too. So definitely interesting. But if Edmonton's smart, they should lock him up long term because, I mean, that other one, Koskinen, that they signed was an awful signing. So, <laughs> I mean, their back end looks awful. Yeah. Outside of Cliff Mom, but yeah, it's brutal. Um, another trade this week, one for one, Sam Gagne going to Edmonton and Ryan Spooner going to Vancouver through the AHL. Um, they had to make a move for they're keeping Gagne with the big club. I think it's a great pickup. I've always liked Sam Gagne. Um, definitely had a very high peak, and then the Valley was a massive drop-off. But I think he can bring a lot to a team like that who's definitely struggling, a veteran, a lot of leadership. I, I think it's a great pickup for Edmonton. Yeah, Gagne's always been like a tweener to me. Like, you, he can go on a little bit of a hot streak or have like one or two random like really good years but kind of fall back into that goal scoring in the teens with like 30 40 points in a year which is like a solid role player the ghost of ryan spooner man like just won't go away traded from from the bruins to the rangers gave him a shot didn't really work out moved him to edmonton for ryan strome didn't work out there now he's on the move to vancouver uh the it's a solid i guess pickup in the sense of having Gagne being able to still perhaps fit on an NHL club. But Edmonton took on additional money in this move. Uh, Vancouver didn't eat any money. So both contracts end, I think, after the season. And Vancouver saved some money in the short term. So not necessarily seeing what the huge upside was for a team like Edmonton, but Vancouver saves, I think, almost a million dollars in the cap. Uh, and clears up, I guess, a roster spot for somebody. So it's kind of like a meh trade. It's just, I don't know, I don't get what Edmonton was doing, even though he's still capable of being somewhat of an NHLer. I'm thinking it's just overhaul that locker room. I mean, I know it's only for the rest of the season, but, I mean, Edmonton dropped off quick, down to 53 points. It's... um. Vancouver, though, like you said, saving some cap space currently in the just outside the wild card. Minnesota's the last one in at 60 points. Vancouver's the first one out at 59. So maybe they're going to be bundling up at the deadline trying to get something going. Yeah, the, again, I know we've harped on this. The Western Conference wild card situation for that last spot. Minnesota currently holds it at 60 points, even though they've lost seven of the last 10. Vancouver's a point out, even though they've lost uh, seven of their last ten. Uh, Minnesota lost eight of ten. Vancouver is seven of ten. Arizona's lost six of ten. Colorado's lost nine of ten. The only team that's actually looking like they would like to make the playoffs out there is the Blackhawks, who are eight and two in the last ten games. But all those teams are massively under in the negative in the goal differential. So two teams. One going further down, Vancouver's still on a periphery by some miracle, making a minor move. It's just, again, if Chicago ends up making a playoff, the Blues and Blackhawks end up making a playoffs, how crazy would that be? Well, currently the Blues are in it, pal. Yeah, <laughs> the, 10 in third, a row. Yeah, third place in that central division. So, I mean, and they're clear the Stars right now by four. Stars they're actually, at 63 They're closer points. to catching the Predators than the Minnesota Wild are to catching them little scary. Uh, like you said last week, whichever shit team gets on at the right moment. <laughs> and St. Louis has three games in hand on a Predators, too. So so there's a chance they're uh, banging on those coattails. The, those four points they took from Nashville were huge. Yeah. Uh, speaking of uh, playoffs and playoff races, uh, the NHL and the Islanders announced uh, over the weekend that the first round of home playoff games that the Islanders will be hosting, which it looks like they're pretty much set to make the playoffs, will be at Nassau Coliseum, not Barclays Center in Brooklyn. And from if they advance to the second round, for the remainder of the playoffs, the home games will be at the Barclays Center. So the Islanders, once again, even though they've been good this year, their whole arena situation is making them look minor league where 
one round is at this arena, and then the rest of the playoffs are at that arena. Uh, kind of adding a hitch into the routine of their their guys. Who we all know hockey players thrive on having like their set routine. So, what are your thoughts on Bettman giving permission for that to happen? This is by far the stupidest fucking thing I've ever heard of. <laughs> uh, and no, I mean because. I think the Islanders actually have a legitimate home ice advantage on Nassau at the Coliseum. So if they do end up making it into the second round, now you're trying to tell me that they're going back to fucking Brooklyn where it's going to be whoever the away team is selling the fucking place out. Like, I just find it so stupid. And I know Brooklyn's had the team most of the year. They've had a couple of games on the island. So it's one of those things as to... Obviously, they understand TV revenue. That They understand that the playoffs is going to make you money. But at the same time, it's like you go to the Barclays, it's completely made for basketball. You go and you sit somewhere and you can't even see the ice. Like the, the Jumbotron isn't over center ice. It's shifted fucking over. Like it, them going to Brooklyn was stupid anyways. But to actually say, hey, here's a legitimate chance to go back to Long Island, have everybody in your corner, and fucking go on a run to say, hey, get out of the first round and go back to Brooklyn. Just fucking pull the plug on them now. They'll make it to the second round, and that's it. Yeah, and like you said, if they end up playing like a Pittsburgh or Washington, or even if they cross over and play the Bruins or Maple Leafs in the second round at Barclays, it's going to be all visitors at the Barclays Center. They don't stand a chance. And the Barclays Center is so bad for hockey that they have that massive gap where the tunnels are at one end of the rink. So they filled it by putting like a car as like a promotion for like that. I think it's a Honda. It looks so like a fucking to... Euro rink. It looks like a European rink where they have the cars and all the other shit behind there for yeah. filler. Uh, and I know the Islanders got approval. I think they already broke ground on building their arena in Queens uh, in Flushing. So that will definitely be better than the Barclays Center. It's it's a shame that they weren't able to work it out with NASA Coliseum like a decade ago when Charles Wang wanted to just redevelop that entire area. Strike that for another short-sighted decision by a town council. Uh, to me, though, if you look at other things that have happened, like if you look at the Patriots and Gillette and Patriot Place and everything, it's an absolute gold mine. Like the fact that they didn't want to do it is absolute stupidity. So good for them for losing the team, but then to dump all this money back into the Coliseum to only get one round of playoffs. Good for you. Good for you, Long yeah. Island. And the Islanders attendance. So when they're at the Barclays Center, they're the third lowest attendance teams in the league. They are only eighty five percent full capacity for home games in Brooklyn. But they've sold out, and they're actually standing room only at the Coliseum for those handful of regular season games. Well, like, I just don't get, A, what's it tell you, but B, do you think them breaking ground in Queens is going to make them any better? Like, I don't even know if them building this arena is the right move. Yeah, uh, I mean, it, for hockey, it's definitely going to be better for the fans and the players themselves because it's actually going to be a hockey arena. I just don't know, because the whole issue with the Islanders being in Brooklyn was the fans who are mostly in Nassau County, like there's not really Islander fans in Manhattan or Brooklyn or whatever, having to take the Long Island Railroad or the subway to the arena. That doesn't really change if they're in Queens. So all the fans in Nassau County, it'll be a shorter ride, but they still have to take the LIRR uh, to Flushing Main Street or take the subway from Brooklyn or wherever to get to the arena, I'm not quite sure it's going to be a significant increase in terms of attendance on a game-to-game basis. I just can't believe that of for all of Long Island, they just couldn't find one place to actually keep the team there. Like, you had to push it to Brooklyn. Now you have to push it to Queens and Belmont Park. Like, there is nowhere they could have put a fucking arena. There was talk at one point of the Islanders exploring going to Suffolk County, which is where I grew up. It's further out east on Long Island. But the NHL blocked it because they considered that too far away from their fans slash being in the metro TV market of like New York City 
borough area. So they blocked that move. The the shitty part is, let's say they move to Queens, they get this nice new arena, it has to be paid off for like 30 years, and they still don't come. Now what? Yeah, well, what do you do now? Because are you going to up and move somewhere else, and then now you're stuck with the arena now, and then finding something else somewhere new? Like, it just seems so fucking insane to me that the NHL and with certain situations they have just not been able to figure it out at all. Just drop the ball left, drop the ball right. And like you said, they said it was over a Metro TV market. Really? Like, are you still on Long Island? Are you still going to have the people coming? Like, unfucking real Yeah, the last thing I wanted to say was a big issue for, especially for hockey teams, is filling the arena the other, <laughs> let's say, 60 nights uh, at the other 300 nights added a year because you have 41 home games and whatever home games you have in the playoffs. Well, to make revenue, they need to have more shows like the circus or concerts or conferences or whatever in that arena. In the New York City metro area, you have the Prudential Center in New Jersey, Madison Square Garden, Barclays Center, MetLife Stadium, which is an outdoor stadium. Uh, now you're going to have the Islanders' new arena in Queens. You have Yankee Stadium. You have City Field, and there's the Coliseum, all within 30 miles of each other. And I mean, if you're going to one, which one are you picking? I mean, I'm going to the Garden for a show, or anything besides like a hockey game. It's the Garden and then Barclays. Like, I'm not going all the way out to Nassau Coliseum if I'm in the city, or if I'm like a legitimate money drawing attraction or act. Uh, Prudential's fine, I guess, but like shit, oversaturation of the market. It's just scary if it doesn't work in Queens. They're stuck there no matter how bad the situation is. Kind of like the Panthers are in Florida because of that fucking lease. I don't even want to touch on the Panthers because <laughs> even Anton Hadobin said it looked like an exhibition game this week. Just There was like 700 fans at the arena the other night. Do you remember in Worcester, I don't know if you were in the tunnel when we would go out for warm-ups, but Critter, the equipment guy, would have me fucking dying because for whatever reason, sometimes Mud would schedule Tuesday or Wednesday night games for, yet again, whatever reason. So usually we would be packed Friday, Saturday, Sunday, but then there would be a weeknight game and there would be nobody there. 50 people. Yeah, and it would just be funny because at the DCU Center, they all they have the brown chairbacks. So we'd be in the fucking tunnel, and I'm in the coach's room. We hear Critter getting the boys ready, and he's like, all right, boys, fucking come on. Hey, let's go. Brown T-shirt giveaway tonight. Just the fucking, <laughs> like, and dude, and I would be in fucking tears because it was just so funny because what, what else are you going to, you know, it's just a brown T-shirt giveaway. You know, people are coming. It's just a whole bunch of brown T-shirts out there. <laughs> I remember some of the guys that call it uh, the shit. The shitbacks are in attendance tonight because of the brown seats being empty. Oh, my God. I, the brown T-shirt giveaway, that one was, like, one of my all-time favorites. How um, is the uh, side tangent, but how is the DCU Center for that monster truck rally? Uh, dude, it, it was pretty cool. i never actually been to one. Kev said he took me to one when I was younger. I don't recall it, so I don't know. Um, but I had fun with the kids. I mean, once as they hit their quota, they were done. But uh, it is fucking loud in there. <laughs> like once those things come out, like it is crazy loud. So um, we all had the hair and protection. Uh, big shout out to Amanda's friend Eileen. They actually had a smaller pair that we were able to put on Emma when she decided she would like them on. But um, no, it was good. We had a good time. I I'd never been to one. It was cool seeing these things just flip over. And yeah, I had a blast. Nice. Um. I don't know if you want to move away because, like I said, I can go on forever about like the Panthers situation and teams that need to relocate and all that stuff. Well, I just want to touch on something because I got up the playoff race here and uh, the team who is one point out of it, the Carolina Hurricanes, currently 8-2-0 oh. <laughs> in their last 10 on a three-game win streak. But I just kind of discussed the whole... Uh, Don Cherry now on the Brian Burke bandwagon <laughs> saying they're a whole bunch of jerks. Uh, Carolina bunch comes. Bunch of jerks. Bunch of jerks. Carolina prints the t-shirts. Um, 
Did you see the celebration the other night? I thought it was A+. plus. I thought it was, was hysterical. It the home run derby one? The home run derby one. Like, that was great. <laughs> yeah, it, I mean, it's fun. The fans love it. I know the Hurricanes <laughs> are still having some trouble drawing, but I think that it has more to do with uh, their slow start to most of the season uh, than fans just losing interest in the Hurricanes. Like, I think they're in that type of market where if they're consistently good or at least contending for a playoff spot, the fans will come. And whatever helps them. You know, you're not in Toronto where you can literally feel the shit team for a decade and it's still going to sell out every game. Um, so I think it's fun. The players are having a good time. The funniest thing, I think, about the whole Don Cherry situation was in his little old man yelling at the sky rant, he said, could you imagine if Justin Williams did something like this? We know Justin Williams is on a team and all this was his idea in preseason. And, and even better, too, he wants to talk about how people are jerks or assholes. Do you see that those fucking suits he wears? Like, absolute <laughs> donkey. Like, I get it. That was his claim to fame. But, like, you look like a jackass. Like, <laughs> fucking retire it. You're just an old, miserable bastard. Like, fucking that's it. Like, let it go. Larry Brooks had a good uh, tweet about the old Don Sherry thing. He said... You know, I'm sick and tired of hearing from a guy complaining who couldn't count the six in the most important professional moment of his career. Oh, suck on that. That's pretty <laughs> Um, And the Hurricanes, again, they're owning this whole situation. They are now selling shirts at the arena and in the uh, team store, let's say, a bunch of jerks with the Hurricanes logo on it. And apparently it's sold out because the fans are doing this whole us against the world mentality, which, hey, whatever helps you, you know? I mean, I find it funny, too, that... Uh... Like you remember the Red Sox in '04 when they were all they were all a bunch of idiots, but no, I mean I don't it, it's it's, it's different because I mean I guess they were self-proclaimed a bunch of idiots, so I guess it's easier to jump on your own bandwagon. But when you could just absolutely blow up Don Cherry, oh, I don't care. Keep printing them. I'll send send a couple our way. We'll fucking hand them out. So the thing about 2004 is I know after the Aaron Boone home run in Game Seven in 2003. Uh, I was under the impression that baseball had a strike in 2004 and picked up in 05, so I'm not quite sure what you're talking about as a Yankees fan here. Oh, well, from what I was told, I guess there was a series. I mean, we can move on. It's fine. <laughs> I, I was told they would drink Jack Daniels before each game, and then that was kind of the cure, and they won eight in a row. But anyways, uh, what are we on to now? What's next? <laughs> uh, I think... In terms of like set stuff that's happened this week, uh, I'm more than happy to kind of put some more ass in a line here and talking about who we think either might be the next big name traded or if we want to kind of go into a fan-submitted topic around why, I mean, we've been kind of touching on this the last few minutes, but why some mar markets uh, work better than others in terms of uh, attendance or success for our teams around the league. I'll uh, see you which one. Lay it on me, baby. I don't care. I'm game either way. Um, all right. So I'm going to cover both here really quick. I think the next guy that gets traded is Mark Stone. Official? Okay. Yeah. So I think he's on a move. I know the Senators already talked about that they're going to be trading Matthew Shane because they couldn't come to an agreement. But I think that's more of a negotiating ploy because Shane wants to stay there. So I think they're trying to get him to lower his demand by leaking that out. So I think Stone's on a move. All right. Now... I got one question for you with there's been no official word on him, which I find interesting, but, um, Jeff Skinner, he's, he's going to be, uh, UFA at the end of the year. His price has gone up. He's tore it up in Buffalo, Buffalo currently not in the playoffs, but there's been no discussion about him. So I'm just curious, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, he just dropped two on the Rangers the other night. Gives him 36 on a year. Uh, especially in the league where goal scoring is up, somebody like him, I guess, kind of found his niche a little bit. Uh, if I'm Buffalo, I don't think they can really afford him in a sense of they have a few other holes that need to patch and not necessarily set on a back end. I know they have a few... like pretty good pieces up front and Skinner's been a part of that, but I don't think they're able to commit six years, six to $7 million a year for 
while he's a good goal scorer, more of a one-dimensional guy, um, instead of, you know, filling out the rest of the roster and spreading that money around a little bit. So they're out of the race. They are six points out. Uh, they've been sliding for almost like two months now. If I'm them, I'm putting them on the market and just highest bidder, maybe the team that loses out on Panarin, essentially. Panarin is still traded. All right, you call me up for Skinner. Yeah, I just find it funny because uh, I got TSN's thing up here, and he is not even in the top 30 of trade bait, which, which to me is crazy. Like you said, I mean, he, he's kind of outpriced himself there, so they're probably not going to be able to keep him. I, I just don't know why he wouldn't be on the market for yeah, I know I have Panarin. I think Lamarello is going to try and make a big move for the Islanders uh, for somebody up front. And I had this idea of Panarin going there because uh, the Islanders might make, are probably going to make a push for him this summer. But if Columbus doesn't want to trade him to a team, they might end up playing in the playoffs. Uh, Jeff Skinner playing on the wing of Barzell of Anders Lee sounds pretty good. Yeah, I'd say with them currently having 26 goals this year. <laughs> So I think that could be like a secondary piece that might not cost as much as a guy like Stone and Panarin where a team like the Islanders can make a move on that. Uh, so I, I just came across him. So he is in the top 50. He is the 50th for TSN as to trade bait. So I, Damn, find, all right. that, I find that very interesting. Well, I'm going to go on record to say whoever's running that list doesn't really know what and, the fuck they're talking and, about. And I lied. 36 goals this year. Yeah, he just dropped two more against the Rangers. Which is fun. Yeah, so I don't know, definitely interesting. Uh, TSN's top 10, Panarin, Duchesne, Stone, Simmons. J- this one's just random. It's kind of funny. The Jets' first-round pick. Uh, <laughs> Kevin Hayes, Matt Zuccarello, Gustav Nyquist, Charlie Coyle, and Jimmy Howard. And then just on the outside is Ryan Dezingle, who I think has made a big jump this year. I think he's going to be traded. I don't think he wants to go back to Ottawa. Currently a cap hit of only 1.8, so he's very affordable. Uh, 22 goals, 43 points this year. I mean, he doesn't cost you that much. Uh, that that would be my assumption. Uh, that might be the cheaper option if you're certain teams fishing. Charlie Coyle would be a nice piece for somebody. Six or three, can play center or right wing, right-handed shot, two-way guy. Um, <laughs> I'd be interested in him if I was... One of the playoff teams. It's a seller's market, you know? A lot of teams are in it. Only a few teams are basically throwing up the white flag. So uh, the return should be good. Normally, a guy like Hayes wouldn't get a significant return, but I think he can garner like a grade A prospect in the first. Yeah, and interesting too with Coyle because a lot of these other guys are all UFAs and he still has another year on his deal at 3.2. So pretty affordable. Yeah, so I think. What we should do, I know next week's uh, recording is going to be a few days before the trade deadline, so I'm assuming we're going to have a few more trades to discuss in next week's episode, which is always fun. But I think uh, we can tease next week week's episode a little bit about the whole what works and what doesn't work in terms of hockey markets, even in a place like New Jersey where it's the Northeast, a lot of hockey fans are on there and they still can't draw after winning a handful of Stanley Cups. So I think that could be an interesting discussion. I like that. Yeah, we could save that for next week. Yeah, that's a hat tip for a suggestion to uh, Miss uh, Brenna Quinn. Yes, and now we're about 45 minutes into it. Um, Anything else we got to touch on before we go on to locks and games and all that? Uh, I think... You know, since we just recorded a few days ago, the 20th episode, I think I don't want to oversaturate it in terms of trade talk because I know we have one more before the deadline, and then we'll probably do like a deadline review the week after. Yeah, that, that or maybe we'll do a deadline one that night, make it fucking real good. Yeah, we can do a live one leading up to the deadline with instant reaction. <laughs> Actually, I like that. That might be good. That might be the way to go. Yeah, it's the 25th at, I think it's noon my time. 3 p.m. your time. Yeah, so uh, I'll just be getting out of work, heading home. So maybe, yeah, we'll, we'll do one a little bit later on. Uh, yeah, instant reaction that night. What worked, what didn't. Didn't <laughs> Yeah, I'm, I'm totally game for that. Um, Going into it, I, I already know the intro for that one, too. I already got it in my head. But um, 
game of the week. I have three picked because, yet again, my collective ADD does not let me just kind of grab one thing and go from there. I have a game tonight, Boston at San Jose. Both teams kind of been on a tear a little bit, so I think that's going to be good to see as to if the Bees can keep the train rolling on the West Coast swing, currently 2-0. and uh, Another game, that stadium series, Pitt and Philly, national market. Those guys can get ugly sometimes, so. You never know what can happen. Maybe a little Crosby and Giroux action, hopefully for the best. Uh, Winnipeg at Vegas, I think that's going to be a great game too. My lock of the week, don't know if I should do it. Feeling lucky, feeling hot. I'm picking my bees tonight at San Jose. Ooh, ooh, all right. Um, I'll update our standings. I think... Both of us have been on a little bit of a heater recently with our locks for the week, so I'll update that. Uh, I think my suggestion for the, I guess, the bet on who finishes with the better record in the lock should be next season, the loser has to pay for two tickets to the winner's home arena for Bruins-Rangers game. Well, if you're back in New York, game on, absolutely. We can do that. Yeah, definitely. I'll be in New York. You don't have to fly me out from Cali for next season. Well, you know, first class, pal. <laughs> um, all right, so for me, my game of the week pick is going to be Thursday the 21st. It's going to be <clears throat> excuse me, the St. Louis Blues on a road playing the Dallas Stars. The Blues, uh, up until today's recording, 10 in a row. They're two points ahead of the Stars now, so it's going to be a key game for the stars who are at home to try and get back into the central division bracket themselves and avoid the wild card spot and we'll see if the blues are going to be able to keep up their significant hot streak of the last two to three weeks uh going into that game my lock of the week is the night before wednesday february 20th winnipeg on the road against the massively struggling colorado avalanche i like that that should definitely be a lock <laughs> uh, so today in NHL history, I uh, got a few nuggets for you guys. I'm gonna go reverse time on this one, a little Bruins related. 1990, Ray Bork has the biggest scoring night of his 22-year NHL career, He's finishing with six points, a goal and five assists for the Bruins in a 7-2 win against the Canucks at Pacific Coliseum. The five assists make Bork the seventh defenseman in NHL history to have 600 in his career. In 1970, Bobby Orr scores his record-setting 22nd goal of the season. Orr breaks his own NHL single-season mark for goals by a defenseman, set the previous year in 1969. He finishes the 1970 season with 33 goals. And lastly, in 1968, the New York Rangers inaugurate the new Madison Square Garden by beating the Philadelphia Flyers 3-1. The new Madison Square Garden, but it's still the old Madison Square Garden? Uh, it was renovated slash moved from its original location, like across the street. So, all right, yeah, no, I was like, I thought the one we went to was Madison Square Garden. Was... <laughs> yeah, they just renovated. Now they renovated it a few years ago again, which actually made it a lot better too. Is it a lot better getting out of there? Because I remember that game we went to. It's like you're you were on those like fucking just ramps heading down towards the out. You were just stuck in there like sardines, like this close. Yeah, they bought into concourses. They added more escalators and elevators, um, and they added like a few more exit points spread out throughout the uh, building itself. So it wasn't like a mass of people going to like four exits. Okay, so th- that should be better. Then. They also added that little sky viewing area where it's above the uh, jumbotron, and it's like a glass walkway where you can like stay up there and it's enclosed, and you can have like drinks and watch the game below your feet. That's pretty cool. Yeah, so maybe if uh, I end up winning the lock of the week bet, I'll make you pay for tickets for there. Sounds good. I'll give you the credit card number. That's fine. <laughs> All right, so shout-outs. Who do you got this week? Um, I want to take back shout-outs from last week because last <laughs> week I shouted out Dayquil and Nyquil. And um, as of now, they're currently doing dick for me. So they've been removed from the list officially. Um, probably gonna go to the doctor this week and actually figure out what the fuck's going on. Um, shout out Big Red, what that apple of my eye, woman's a saint. Uh, Monday night recording. Shout out to Mexico Burritos down the street because once this is over, I'm going down to get me a five dollar burrito. Um, yeah, that's all I got. 
Uh, shout outs to me, of course, first lady. I had a nice Valentine's Day. I dated and everything with her last week. And just like Redder is a saint, she is a saint for putting up with me. Um, and lastly, I want to give a shout out because I know for a fact he's not going to be listening and I want to continually embarrass him each and every week. I even called him out on his Instagram post today. I want to give a shout out to Bobo for not listening for the 21st straight week, even though he appeared on one of the episodes. Um, so shout out Bobo. If you're actually listening to this, you can text me, fuck you, and I'll know you actually listened. Well, I doubt that'll happen because uh, it's actually funny you said that. I was actually supposed to meet up with Bobo today, but we had the recording. So I was like, hey, I can only go down for like X amount of time. I don't know if it's worth it or whatever. And uh, yeah, never said anything about uh, <laughs> uh, about listening to any or catching up. So yeah, he's out. If you want, just go on his Instagram, his photos from today, and you'll see my comment. You can shit on him too. Oh. Um I also like give a sh- I'll give a shout out to Hole in the Wall Pizza because, like your burrito place, I will be hitting that up as soon as we're done here. Yeah, I cannot wait to chow. Um, anything else looking forward next week? I'm looking forward to the trade deadline. Outside of NHL expansion and relocation, trade deadline is my favorite day of the year. I love trade deadline. I'm just I'm refreshing TSN constantly on my phone. That and Draga. Give give me the info, Drager and McKenzie. Come on, lay it on me. It was it was the best when we were in college, and we would just like be on our phones and just refresh, refresh, <laughs> and then we're like, dude, the Bruins just uh, uh. <laughs> oh, the good old days. Um, well, everybody, as always, thank you for listening. We appreciate it. I know it's been awful putting up with this voice. Hopefully, by next week, I'll have a full windpipe back and just cranking out beautiful tunes to everybody uh benny thank you for uh, always being on the night shift for me when you know it, it could be the three hour delay between me and you but when i go to bed and i wake up and i see the uh texts in the post i love it baby <laughs> yeah well you know i got a lot of a little extra free time on my hand without two offspring running around so must be nice pal <laughs> two, five, it two five and ten baby we'll catch you next week Gonna rock it right No need to talk I know what you want and what you like Cause I do too Yeah, I love how you leave on